Good morning to you all. And it is a pleasure to be with you this morning. I count it a, a great privilege to be able to join you. I'm often on the road or at our home church at the People's Church just up the road. And uh, I really look forward to the times that we have to come and, and join the campus church. And especially this morning, celebrating the Lord's table together as a, as a group and uh, remembering Him. And so I want to go this morning to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm 18 in your Bible. This is a Psalm of David, and we're going to look at a few thoughts on that this morning. Psalm 18. <clears throat> this Psalm is also recorded in 2 Samuel 22. It is uh, actually the song that came out of David's heart on the day that he found himself uh, victorious over his enemies. And it's very interesting that the life of David, as we see it in Scripture anyways, his first public example in Scripture is uh, when he uh, faces Goliath, you remember, and slays the giant. And we often talk about that story and how God just brought such a great deliverance there on that day. And the, the life of David from there on, as he was the rightful king of Israel, you know, it was a tough road for him, wasn't it? Uh, and he faced many enemies, including those of his own household, including those uh, the, the previous king, King Saul. And eventually, uh, the Philistines as well, the giant of Gath, had four sons. And you read at the end of Second Samuel chapter 21 that the, his four sons, these were born of the giant of Gath, it said, and they fell by the hand of David and his servants. And it's interesting that David began his campaign really against uh, his enemies with a giant, and then at the end of being uh, victorious, he faced those giants still. And the song that came out of his heart was not one of how great David is, it was how great God is, how great the Lord is. And I think that's really the mark of David. And Psalm 18, if you're there, we're going to read down through just a few first few verses. This psalm is prefaced by this. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we are so thankful, thankful for the word of God, for giving it to us that we can handle it today. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you are the victor over everything. And Lord, you're even the victor over death itself and hell. And you grant us salvation by faith. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for that. And we pray today that as we open up your word this morning, we would receive it with gladness. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The Lord we worship, and that's really what you could title this section of Scripture that we read. It's really the heart cry of David. And uh, as we gather really on Sunday mornings here and throughout our world as Christians gather um, they hopefully are focusing on the one whom we are gathering about, the Lord himself, right? And that was David's heart as well. And verse 1 here opens up with 
a statement, and it's really, it shows the Lord in, who is worthy of our delight, or specifically who is worthy of David's delight. And I don't know what you came to uh, the service this morning with in your heart. Uh, like anybody, all of us come with lots of thoughts and concerns, and you're thinking about this week coming up, and the tests that you have maybe, and assignments, and things like that. But is the, the very essence of who you are really delighting in the Lord today? I throw that question out for you, because that's what this psalm says. That's what David said. And he opens up with some interesting thoughts here. They're very profound. Really, first, he declares a love for the Lord. And secondly, a dependence on the Lord. He talks about the Lord being his strength. I often think of David, you know, we think of David as that mighty conqueror, as a mighty king. He had those mighty men of valor. And he did mighty acts, like facing a giant and slaying that giant, and then later slaying the the sons of that giant, and all the ones in between, a great warrior. And yet, in all of that, David did not fail to remember that the strength that he had was from the Lord. And really, uh, that's the heart cry of David. I want to look at this word, first of all, the love. And he says, I will love the Lord. And I like this because, um, honestly, the word love, and it's, it's, you know, it's a unique word to the Bible in that you will find the word love uh, displayed be- between God and man back and forth. And we often talk about the love of God. You, you sang this morning, uh, Nikki, Adam, uh, 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 yeah, <laughs> sorry, I was trying to remember the last one. That's right, you all sang this morning of that beautiful song. And I, I'll tell you, uh, what a wonderful truth to that uh, message that we love the Lord, don't we? Oh, how we love Him. And Really, but that love starts with him. And this is an interesting word. I don't know if maybe you can call the text up before me if you can switch this over. And um, it might come up, it might not. But the word love, it's actually a Hebrew word. that It's the only time it appears. This Hebrew word is translated love, actually, in the authorized version. And it's uh, rakha. And it, it means, actually, most often it's translated as tender mercies or mercy itself. And I'll just call that up over there. You see it on the far side, racham. And it means, uh, like I said, most often translated as mercy. 32 times in the authorized version it shows up as mercy. Eight times as pity. Three times, uh, excuse me, three times as love. And then once as merciful, once as ruhama. So it's, it's three times. I was off there on the word love that it appears. But it's most often associated as mercy. And I started thinking about that. I thought, why would David use a word that, often is used as of God who has mercy on us. I mean, God does not need our mercy, right? The Lord does not need our mercy. He does not need our compassion. But it is the action kind of love. Really, that's what it's about. And it's interesting, it's also translated to Ruhama once, and that appears in, as Pastor Doherty knows, because he's taught the book many years, and now I'm teaching it, but Hosea. We teach that with the fourth-year students uh, the first um, week of school. And that word appears in Hosea chapter 2, verse 1, when the Lord speaks and he says, call them Ami, my people, and Rohama, which is uh, having mercy on or pity on and compassion on. You could you know, translate it that way. And he's referring to Israel. He's referring to his people. He's referring that he hadn't cut off Israel. He hadn't put them away, but he had a place for them. They are still his people, and they will be again shown his mercy and his love. And so it's aptly translated here as that action towards God 
and an action that comes back from God or has been from all eternity past. As He loves us unconditionally. And ultimately, His love is what is on display. It means to love deeply. It means to love tenderly. Uh, it means to actually, the word as I understand it is, was used to tell people, like they would describe how you would draw close to somebody. So, so you think of it in an aspect of someone you really love. You would give them a hug or you'd want to sit next to them or you'd want to be as close as you could to them because you love them. And you can kind of, you know, kind of picture that kind of love in your mind as far as proximity and the, the heartbeat of somebody. And really, that's what God gave us, didn't He, in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son. As he, the Bible says that He came to this realm. He who inhabits eternity put on space and time, didn't He? He entered into space and time. And He became a man. And the Bible says He humbled Himself, right? And that, that whole humbling or humiliation as he, as he became a human being, yet fully God, and he came near us, right? That's what John says in his opening uh, words in John's gospel where it says that he, he dwelt or tabernacled among us. He set up his dwelling right here. And we beheld his glory even as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the love of God on display. And wouldn't it make sense that throughout the Gospel of John, that word appears so often, right? In the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, for God so, what? Loved the world, didn't he? And you can see that, but that was not a, a New Testament principle. That's a principle that's found throughout Scripture. By the way, it's a principle that's unique to the God of the Bible, to the God who is the true God, the Lord Himself, Yahweh. That's the name that David calls him here, Yahweh, over and over again. The very covenant name for God and the name he revealed to Moses and the name that he is known by. Uh, and I think of that, the love of God. Oh, how he loves us. And that song today was so fitting. I didn't check with you, with you guys before this morning at all uh, about this text and all that. The Lord just worked that out. The practical aspect of this, because David doesn't say it's the Lord loving him, but he says, I will love the Lord. That's the action from us to God. And I thought, how is it that we can love the Lord? How is it that we can we, we show that? And is there you know, somewhere in Scripture where we can see that? And I thought right away the first illustration that came to mind was Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew 25, it is the, the kingdom of God on display. And those, the parables that go with that. And starting in verse 31, uh, nearing the end of this chapter, and I like this because he says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And this is yet future. The return of Christ, right? And the judgment that is coming. It says, And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one for another. As the shepherd divideth his sheep and the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat, and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, 
When saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? And when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Right? How we demonstrate the love that we have for the Lord and how we serve the Lord from a heart of love is just like that. The Lord is someday going to say to the righteous and to the unrighteous, you took me in when I was homeless. (laughs) And when I was naked, you gave me clothes. You fed me when I was hungry. And, you know, we sometimes lessen that aspect of our faith because, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about theologically the grace that we're saved and we, we talk about that, but that is always played out in action, isn't it? Our good theology will bring about, bring about good uh, living and good action. And it's really only Christianity, and I, I don't say this boastfully, but I say it because it, it shows the heart of Christianity, which is the Lord. It's only... Christianity and Judaism lumped together that actually portrays their faith in such a way. Think of all the hospitals that are built throughout the world for the sick who are built uh, and often are Christian hospitals or even Jewish hospitals. You don't see that in other parts of the world like that. Uh, Not after a religion. Uh, It's only that faith. It's interesting that uh, as Christians show their love, and of course the other side of that is that they can not show their love also, going through life very cold. And often, uh, God has to break up that fallow ground in my own heart as I, I see so much sin and devastation and heartache and ruin. And, and you, this year, students, it's early on in this year, but you're already involved in your practical Christian service and you're involved in various ministry aspects and you will be ministering and corporately as a school be, will be ministering to thousands of people this year. Some on the campus, some off the campus some in various churches all around, uh, through missions trips. We'll have all these opportunities. And I often wonder, is, it, is our motivation focused because of heaven, because of the Lord? And we're saying, I will love you, Lord. Like David said, I will love you. Secondly, he says, I will uh, lean on the Lord. He calls him my strength. And I like that. Uh, it reminds us again that we in ourselves are of nothing And ultimately, any strength that we possess, we have because of him. And it's also interesting that David uses that personal pronoun, my. (laughs) My. Actually, it appears nine times in the first two verses. It brings to mind the very nature that God is a personal God. And he is. It's interesting, a lot of people in our world today don't see that. And in their in their worldview or in their theological view of, of God or gods or, or however that plays out, often there's not a personal nature about that. You, you take Islam, for example, with its 1.5, maybe up to 1.7 billion people today that are Muslim, and there is no, I've read through the Quran, there is no aspect taught ever in the Quran of the love of God or the personal nature of God at all. And if a Muslim is true to his faith and you asked him and he said, is, is Allah personal? No. We do his will, they would say. We neither love God nor does he love us. He's an impersonal God. 
And you could ask that same question to many people throughout our world with different views of that. And when it really hinges, the personal nature of God is not there. And yet, from eternity past, as we read in, in Matthew 25, God was this personal God that wanted to come and dwell among men, people, and be at their heart level. And David says that. He's my strength. And often... Uh, we need to be reminded of that, the personal nature of that. The Lord is totally worthy of our dependence. He goes on to say that, uh, again, using the word my and my, but he says the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, and in whom I will trust my buckler, my horn of my salvation, my high tower. Wow. Can you make those claims this morning about the Lord and who He is? He's the one who uh, calls all men everywhere to be saved. As He proclaims that or He offers that invitation, doesn't He? It's His desire that none should perish but that all should come to repentance. It would be God's heart desire this morning as it has always been that every single member of His creation come to know Him and worship Him. That's ultimately what David is doing here as his heart goes back in song to the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord. He's ascribing worth to Him. And ultimately, he's the most worthy of that, isn't he? He's the one that is only really the one that we should be worshiping because he's the best. (laughs) He's the the one that should uh, desire, all our desires should be focused to, right? We see the praise that David has, not only for this personal God, you see that in that pronoun, my, but the praise for a powerful God. In God, his relationship, he finds him this strength in him, and he uses these metaphors to describe how the Lord is, and how this, really, this relationship is, and what God is like, and he describes him as best he can with things that are analogous to to things he would have seen in his land as he's walking about. And each one brings to mind a certain aspect of the perfections of God. It really does. How he's like these things. First of all, God is our stability. And God is our, he says this, the Lord is my rock. (laughs) When you stand upon a rock, I'll tell you, in a nice big rock, that's a good safe place, isn't it? I've climbed Mount Katahdin several times in my life. That's the center of Maine, essentially. Uh, it, the, the word Katahdin was of the Algonquin tribe. Uh, you know, the Penobscot Indians actually called it uh, the high place, the chief place, Katahdin, and that's what it means. And from all over the state of Maine, you can see it. I've been down on the coast and got up in a high tower there in Ellsworth, Bucksport, that is, and looked out and I could see Mount Katahdin on a clear day. And you can do that from all over. It's a big place. And there's nothing like standing there at the summit of Mount Katahdin at Baxter Peak and realizing this big hunk of granite. And that's what it is, a big chunk of granite. It's not going to move. Oh, the rest of the state of Maine, the rest of the world, you know, it might shift and towns come and go and people come and go, but that mountain stays there. And David said, that's like our God. He's like a rock. And you know, when you're on the rocks, (laughs) you can go to the rock. And that's what 
really he is. He's also our safety. He, he says he's our fortress or my fortress. And that picture's in a lofty mountain, that citadel, you know, the, the mountain castle that's sitting on top of that rock. And it reminds us that we can flee to him for safety. Oh, Satan, First uh, Peter 5, 8 says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Oh, there's nothing like going to the Lord and finding him safe because he's safe. And you'll find eternal significance, eternal security and safety in the Lord and none other. He's our Savior. He says, my deliverer. And I think David was being, you know, he's reminded that he was not only David's deliverer from his enemies here on this earth, but eternally. Because like David and like all of us, we have the enemy of death that is always nipping at our heels constantly. There will be little children today that they won't even see the light of day and they will die in the womb. There will be little boys and girls that die today in our world. There will be teenagers that die in our world today. There will be young adults. There will be middle-aged adults. There will be Christians and there will be Buddhists and there will be Jews and there will be Muslims. There will be people from all over. And there will be older people that will die And all of us face death. It it nips at our heels and it's in the corners of our world all the time, just kind of in the shadows, right, lurking. And for the believer, we have the very fact the Lord is our deliverer. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57 says. It says, uh, and and back up just a, a verse there, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory, the deliverance, through our Lord Jesus Christ. I can stand here this morning and we can gather here this morning and we have a message to tell the world that death no longer holds us. We celebrated the Lord's table this morning and I am reminded as we do that every time I celebrate the Lord's table of the significance of what took place at the cross where the worst of man and the most horrendous evil that could ever be perpetrated was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and there He paid the price for me. He took death for me and He bought it, bought my life. He paid the price and then the grave did not hold Him. He's victorious over death and over sin. Amen. Go back to Psalm 18. He reminds us also that He is is our Savior. And He says the Deliverer. He's our Sovereign. He calls Him God. He says, My God. And the word El there, in in the the context that David's using it, he's saying you're the, the God, a high God. You're the one who is sovereign over everything. And, And when I say that, You know what? God is. There's not one thing today that will overtake the Lord. There's not one thing today or any time ever in any aspect of this whole creation from before the fall or after the fall or whatever that God's not aware of. And He's in control of these things and He has His plan. He's working His plan out. Perfectly working His plan out. And yet we're part of that. And yet we have... We can commune with Him. We have a will. We have hearts that can commune with Him. We have all that. And that's, a, that's a mystery somewhat, but it's really God. 
And we can call him our God, my God. He's our strength. Later on, he goes on to say this. uh, He is uh, my strength again. And that's the second time he said that. And then he says, in whom I will trust. David is reaffirming the fact that he has put put his faith in the Lord, the Creator God, the God who is all these things we've talked about. He has put his faith in there. And again, he's declaring that. And as he does it in song, I, I often wonder what would this have sounded like as David sang it and as the musicians played it. Oh, maybe someday we'll hear that when we're, in, when we're in heaven. I'll ask David, David, can you play Psalm 18 for me? I want to hear it. And maybe I'll be able to sing and sing along with him and sound good too. <laughs> it'll be great. Even you, Pastor Doherty, it'll sound good, I'm sure. God, God is our strength. He is our strength. And then he goes on to say this. And he says, uh, in whom I will trust my buckler. And uh, again, uh, that word being used, he is like a part of that fortress imagery. The horn of my salvation, the, the high tower. The word buckler literally means a shield. And the Lord is our shield, isn't he? He's the one that protects us. And in the very real sense, that's what David was, he was talking about those times that God protected him, miraculously protected him, delivered him from his enemies. And God is able to do that. Ultimately, as I already mentioned, that our greatest enemy is death, and it lurks always chasing us, and we have victory over death. But even now, here in this life, often he delivers his children. He really does, and he does it for his own glory. I think of the illustration way back to World War II when the United States and the Allied forces were waging the Pacific campaign against the Japanese and they were island hopping and taking islands back in the Pacific and the Marines were in charge of doing a lot of that and they faced the ferocity of, of the Japanese who were embedded and dug in in the hills of these little islands. And on one particular occasion, uh, a Marine division landed on one of these islands and in the fierceness of the fight, uh, a group of Marines got separated. Many were wounded and they actually had to retreat. And there was a young Marine, found himself all alone, cut off from his unit. And the only thing he could do is go up and hide in a, in a little cave that he found in, the, in a rock. And he crept in the back in the blackness of that little cave and he hid there and he could hear the Japanese soldiers down below him on the hill as they were going along and they were executing the wounded Marines they came across. And he prayed, O oh Lord, deliver me from this. He was a believer. And as he prayed that prayer and he sat there in fear in that little cave, he watched as a spider began to build a web across the entrance of that cave. And it just started doing it. And he thought to himself, this is silly. Lord, I don't need a spider web. I need a brick wall. And that little spider over the next hour weaved this elaborate web. And he watched that. And he heard the voices and the gunshots getting closer. And as they approached his little place, two Japanese soldiers appeared at the front of his cave. And he was hidden in the darkness in the cave. And they looked in and they said something in Japanese and they walked off. And he didn't know Japanese, but he understood what they were talking about. They had seen that spider web. And they knew that nobody could walk through there and not break that spider web. So there couldn't be anybody in there. And they just continued on. And that man later testified saying, with a little spider in the hands of God is a stronger shield than anything man could ever build. And that's so true, isn't it? He's like that. He's our buckler. He's our shield. 
He's the horn of our salvation. And that's the symbol of strength and conquest. You think of a horn, right, being blown in the time of battle. And David is saying, that's the Lord. He's like that. He's secure. It's also, think of the the horn of plenty that is used often in Thanksgiving time and uh, is, is pictured. And that too reminds us of that, isn't he? He is the one who uh, gives us all things. He's our, our supply. He says he's our high tower. High tower, the end, the end of verse 2. Again, this metaphor that David uses uh, pictures the, the tower that's off in the distance. And when the enemy would come in the land, the people of the land would flee to the high places. And if you were going to fight somebody, you wanted to do it from the high ground, and you wanted to be above them so you could take in the battle. You could be at a benefit over them, uh, an advantage over them. And in these towers, these fortress towers that were placed throughout this whole land, uh, they were often, they would stock food and water and munitions and uh, a place for people to rest. And so when the enemy would come in, people would flee to these high towers and there they would find rest. They would find security. They would find provision. They would find uh, armaments for the battle that was going to unfold before them. And really that's the Lord as we run to Him and flee to Him for refuge, right? He's the one who ultimately brings all supply to us. Wow. Thirdly, the Lord is worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our complete devotion. David says this, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Did you catch that? I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. He's the one who is ultimately to be praised. And He's the one that knows us, wants to commune with us, wants to be there with us. Verse 46, often we actually sing this chorus. We sing that verse 3 and then verse 46 in this psalm where he says, the Lord liveth, that's the refrain, right? And blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. And I love that chorus because it reminds us back to this hymn, this psalm that David wrote, and we, we still carry that on when we sing that. We have an answer to tell people. And I want to leave you, I know our time's gone, I want to leave you with this thought this morning. We have, I hope anyways, everybody in this room, a personal relationship with this same Lord. We can focus in on Him. He not only gives purpose and meaning to us, and all the benefits that go with that relationship, that personal nature, the love of God. But we have that to share with others also. We have that for eternity. And someday we'll be in His presence and we will take these things in as we've never taken them in before because we'll do so in, in total sanctification, in total holiness. Now we lack that. <laughs> we could always be more holy now. And we are limited by our flesh and our bodies and and, and the tiredness that goes with it and the weaknesses and those things. But someday we will see Him for all He is and all His glory. And we have an answer for people. How does that play out? That's my challenge to you this morning. How does it play out? I have something I was debating whether or not I would even 
use this illustration, but I, I wanted this morning. And some of you have looked at the news since Friday and in Wednesday. On, actually, let's back it up. September 9th. That was our weekend of welcome. It was a Sunday morning, actually, September 9th. A 15-year-old girl in British Columbia uploaded a video to YouTube. Eight minutes and 55 seconds. Over the last month, four billion hours of YouTube videos have been watched. Four billion hours of YouTube videos. Some good, some bad. You know, I'm not making a statement with that other than just a fact. That comes right off of YouTube statistics that they have. Every minute of every day, 72 hours of video is uploaded to YouTube. That's, uh, in the course of a month, 11.8 years worth of video that is uploaded to YouTube and is accessible to over a trillion viewers every year. A trillion viewers, as far as actual views. In the midst of that, a young girl named Amanda Todd, she was 15, uploaded a video that for 8 minutes and 55 seconds told of her struggle since 7th grade just with flashcards, as you see. This was the second to the last frame that she showed as far as flashcards. The last flashcard says, I am Amanda Todd. My name is Amanda Todd. But the very last thing she said is, I have nobody. I need someone. For 31 days, that was up on YouTube. I don't know who saw it. Chances are, if you were here at MBBI, you didn't see it. And I realized that. But you know was there for a whole world with that question. I have nobody. I need someone. A very plain statement. She talked about her depression, her abuse, some other aspects of being bullied, and certainly the media has caught on that. So much so that uh, as of Wednesday, nobody, very few people outside her family and friends had ever heard of Amanda Todd. Today, and you can try this, you can go to Google, and if you type in A-M-A-N, the very first suggestion that comes up on Google is Amanda Todd. You say, how did her name go from Wednesday to Sunday this morning being worldwide and being known? Well, because Wednesday, she took her own life. No one gave her the answer to, I need someone. Now, this isn't about Amanda Todd, and I I mean this because I think that is so, it epitomizes the people in our world this morning who are saying, I, I don't have an answer to all the problems that befall me and have come my way, and I need someone. We know that someone. We know who he is. Wouldn't it be great that among the uh, 11.8 years of video that would be uploaded this month to YouTube, and it would probably be more than that because it's growing exponentially every month, that there would be Christians that would jump on that and give a message of hope. And there are. There are. And we'd answer the world, in the world that we're in currently, with the hope that we have in the Lord, just like David had. And he sang that song. May that be your heart cry this morning. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, I am mindful that if we were just to sit here and and celebrate you, certainly, Lord, that is great. But Oh, there are so many that are strangers to you in this world, and it is your desire that they know you. It is their desire that they delight in you. 
And Lord, I would pray this morning. That would be our heart's cry. And because of that, we would not pass people by when we see them hungry or naked or used by this world in ways that sin will do. But Lord, we would stop and give them the hope to the answer that is within us. The love of Christ. Thank you that you sent your only son for us. And may he be exalted in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.